Hello and welcome back to our Wednesday episode of the 3 Plus 1 Podcast, where we are joined by our host, Tracy Bonner. What's up, y'all? And this week's special guest, President of the Georgia NAACP, President James Woodall. Hey, guys. How you all doing today? It is hump day, uh, and we are approaching the end of another week. James, what do you have planned for the weekend? Um, So I'll be flying out on... Uh, Saturday morning, I'm keynoting a Freedom Fund banquet slash gala in North Carolina, and then I'll be preaching that Sunday, so I'm out of town. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. That's going to be a great opportunity. You know what you're going to speak about yet, or is it still in pro- you know, process? Oh, yeah. I'm going to be talking about the movement. I'm going to be talking about I Can Breathe. I'm going to be talking about when we fight together, we win. That's my entire message. There's so week. many great uh, yeah. quotes that you have given us this week, and I can't wait to go through, digest, and then make some, you know, memes of my own <laughs> to to share that. Tracy, are you excited about the weekend? Anything special happening for I you am. this weekend? I am going to see the Alvin Ailey dancers. I am dating myself. You know what? Yeah. Single, y'all. Yeah, she's tra- <laughs> she Tracy is single. Tracy, you bring up, and that's a big part of your brand. So we haven't yes. talked about that, and we, we have not explored why week. you are. So we'll focus on this week as to why you are date yourself, girl, and how that is a part of your brand, yes. and how you advocate being able empowering women to become the love that they seek while they're in transition. I'm not saying be by yourself, girl, independent. I'm not saying you don't need a man. What I'm saying is. I was notorious from jumping from one relationship to another relationship and not doing the healing work that Ianla Benzant so encourages us to do. So I decided to date myself. And you're doing that this weekend. Where will you see Alvin Ailey? At the Rialto Theater okay. in downtown Atlanta. And then I'm going to see Lloyd at City, City Winery. And Lloyd will be at City, City Winery on Sunday, on Sunday yeah. night. That that I, yeah, is it sold out? I don't know. I, I would enjoy I'm uh, getting a ticket from a friend of a friend. Okay, so. I'm sure it's sold out. I need to do a better job of staying abreast of of City Winery. It's a great venue for live music. Yeah. I've seen some amazing shows there, and I think I have to do a great job, a better job of, of staying abreast. Shout out to my friend uh, Philip Owen, who's having uh, a birthday dinner on Friday. That's what I'm doing awesome. this week. Uh, possibly we'll be going to the Netherworld Haunted House on Saturday. I'm a possibility. Well, I'm hoping. I hope I that you do. Well, we'll we will work hard, Tracy, to arrange this so that you can join us. You know, after Alvin Ailey concludes. So that's part of the hope. We've had a really great week with you, James, and I thank you so much for taking time out of what is a very busy and very hectic schedule to sit down uh, with the Three Plus One podcast. Your passion for public service and activism rings true. What started this for you? I would say what started it for me was really just seeing a statue on a courthouse square in Bullock County. And uh, people asking me, you know, can you just start a, a, a petition, you know, online? And I said, yeah, of course I started but not knowing that my name was associated with it. And people started asking me questions. I'm like, I just started the petition. I didn't really care about those statute. But I found myself quickly in the uh, county commissioner's office in Bullock County. I was the only black face in there. Well, me and my lawyer. And then everybody else were white people with Confederate 
flags and banners and on and I had to stand there and say what I said had prepared and I at that moment had took the community by large by storm and they said who is this guy talking about blackness and white supremacy and racism they had in never Bullock County in Georgia Bullock County Georgia the sons of County. Bullock Bullock. Oh, okay. <laughs> we had never heard you. You come in here being well. They love to say outside agitator. Mm-hmm. I said you damn right because where there's injustice anywhere, it's a threat to justice everywhere. And mm-hmm. if this is going to be on the public square, this not only represents the process of justice that goes on behind these doors, but it also represents what's going on in our communities. On that square, literally 70, 80 years ago, there was lynchings, there was mobs, there was. Literally, a crowd of, of white men holding and brandishing these fire pit—I mean, these fire uh, torches—walking through the, the county, uh, the county center, and killed two men <sighs> who were on trial for rape, but they didn't do it. And instead of the judge actually using the process, they literally took them out and killed them themselves. That's what that meant for me. And I said, these people need somebody who's gonna stand up for them because they weren't gonna stand up for themselves. But I realized, and I hushed. I realize that if people are not willing to put their own witness on the line, I can't stand up for them either. Mm, wow. That is a profound statement that you are speaking for those individuals who, are, who were silenced, who are unable to raise their voice on their own behalf. Very likely due to how they were socialized by our society. But in that process, you realize that you can't continue to do that. Why? Because after we did that, we started dealing with the whole with the education system, and it was so disparate, right? When it came to, we had one school, Lexington Chapel Middle School, that was 90% African-American students. And there were only three. Three black teachers in that entire school. Faculty members. We had a superintendent who, my face was literally next to his on the front page of the newspaper that, that week. And I said, he needs to be fired. Because of the practices of firing and readjusting and removing and moving around, you know, uh, African American uh, principals to schools that were lower performance, so that they could get fired because they wouldn't be producing the results that they needed. And so, I realized, I said, I don't have a child in the school system, and all the parents of these children are not standing up and saying what's right or what's wrong and what needs to be fixed to make it right. And I said, I can't keep doing this because they're gonna look at me and say, Well, he doesn't have a child, so his voice really don't matter. I started looking for people who would stand up. It was the same voices. I mean, same voices. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, they were retired educators. Mm-hmm. Fighting. Be fighting. They're so where fighting. are the parents? Mm-hmm. They would show up. It's heartbreaking. It's disheartening. And it's a reality. But I just, you know, I, I, I struggle with exactly what you said about what is a role that we should play in advocacy for people who are refusing to advocate for themselves, but they're not refusing because they don't care or because they don't want to. It's because they may not be educated. They may not be engaged. And the reason that they're not educated, the reason they're not engaged is because society has not empowered them to be so. They were born in a, in a world where they were beat down by white supremacy and is so that, we, so that's have, not so their have, fault it's not their fight but you have to find another they're way they're trapped they're, it's not their fault they're enslaved use that we can continue to use I think it is I don't think so because when I was in education 
I had a particular parent who did not like me because I would reach out to her and say, hey, I'm working with your, your daughter on X, Y, and Z. I would keep her abreast on what's going on. Here's when parent-teacher conferences, and she didn't like me because of that. It wasn't that she was not educated or was not informed. It was that she was overly informed. You're giving me too much information about my child. I'm just sending her to school. Why are you calling me? <laughs> so you have to find there are another a lot way. Of, there are a lot of people yeah. like that. Well, I was just a para at the time. Oh. And so uh, $21,000 a year was not enough incentive for me to find another way. Amen? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tracy, I think that you make a good point there and say that it just simply wasn't enough, wasn't enough money to do that work. I do believe that service is a calling. And, you know, James, when I hear you speak, I definitely see that this is a calling on your life. And the passion that you speak and how you go is, is all a part of a bigger mission and bigger plan. So I'm so excited to see you continue to grow and continue to evolve. I'm going to be there every step of the way as an ardent supporter of you and of the work that you Absolutely. do. I'm excited to, to see other young people also follow you and move forward in the same, uh, on the same path. Who are some of your role models? You're now, about, you're now a role model to thousands of young college students, high school kids, and older people like Tracy and I. Who are some of your role models? Some of my role models, uh, one, I, w- I would say in this season of my life has, has shaped my consciousness, my mindset, my work ethic more than any other. Um, his name is Riggins Earl, Dr. Riggins Earl, who is a professor of, um, I would say, like phenomenology, philosophy of, of theology at the Interdenominational Theological Center. I remember growing up, he was close friends with my, my childhood pastor. And now being a student of his and working with him and working on his book and trying to, you know, work through the, the nicks and, 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 and kinks of his book, um, which is called The Jesus Christ Season Black Consciousness. That's the research that we're working on. Um, he pushes you to think through the challenges of the society, mm-hmm. not just being OK with the narrative that's presented, whether it's through religion, whether it's through sociology, whether it's through philosophy, whether it's through human condition. The assumptions that make up our consciousness have impacts in how we approach solutions. Absolutely. And so if you think the human condition is inherently sinful, you're going to be okay with violence being a norm. Yeah. But I can't accept that because I don't believe the human condition is inherently violent. And so we must be able to re-narrate our realities. Other thing I would say, um, James Cone, the late Dr. James Cone, um, he is the father of black liberation theology. He's, he, he was a professor. He studied at the Union Theological Seminary in New York City, and he was well, New York. Um, and he literally presents a way for us to talk about the gospel that has impact for people that are oppressed. He uses he builds a systematic approach to religion. He says God cannot be a god of chaos. God has to be a god of community of the oppressed because God finds God's self Inside. in the oppression. Of people, God can't be the God of the of the of the narrative. God has to find God's self in the counter narrative, in the margin, and so He uses you know scripture and, and experiences to literally talk about God in the lens of blackness. How do we liberate ourselves? 
Wow, you just named two, I think, phenomenal thought leaders, neither of which I've ever heard of. What are some resources, books, or websites uh, otherwise that you would recommend to our listeners who are interested in learning more about what you're talking about? One book I would recommend is called Soul Black Folks by W.E.B. Du Bois. I got um, that. But there's, a, there's another book. <laughs> that, it's not about you. It's for the listeners. Right, right. I would, I, would, I would recommend you read that book, but after you read that book, you have to read the book by Stephanie Shaw, who is a black woman from, I believe, Vanderbilt. It's called The Boys and the Souls of Black Folks, and she uses what we call uh, the dialectic method, which is a Hegelian dialectic, right? That he goes from spirit to, well, he goes from soul to spirit, and how do we embrace this quote-unquote double consciousness, right? I don't believe we have a double consciousness, but nonetheless, how do we talk about our condition as a people, how do we could talk about the historical experiences as our culture has grieved, literally grieved the loss of so many people over the years. And then I would also recommend that we read, um, there's a book called um, Stoning the Road We Tried, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's by Cain uh, uh, Hope Felder, who just passed away. And it gives us the African-American biblical interpretation of the scripture, right? That looks at it from a different perspective because too often we look at the Bible from our own lens as opposed to the witness of those who came before us. Mm-hmm. And then the other book I would say, this last book, is called Womanist Midrash by Will Gaffney, Dr. Wilma Gaffney. And she looks at the stories of the text of terror from the womanist lens as opposed to the feminist lens and says, we have to lift up the voices of those in the margin because if we don't, we do violence to them over and over again every time we read them. Stories like Tamar. Mm. We lift up David mm. and say he's a man that we don't apart, but mm. he literally is responsible for the rape of this baby girl. And ruins her life. Ruins it. Then we, we have women saying, I'm waiting on my Boaz. We got Ruth. Right? So she looks at it and says, Ruth literally is having sex with this, with this old rich man as a, as a means of survival. and causes survival sex as opposed to and so when women say, I'm waiting on my Boaz, I tell them, I say, wait a minute, what are you saying? I can relate to Ruth. Are you literally <laughs> using your body to survive? Right? And then the other thing is Bathsheba, right? So she goes through all these women of the text and gives us a perspective that literally reinvents the story for their lives. And that's what she says black women mm. have to do every single day. That is the truth. And so we're going to add in some of these resources in this week's show notes. So it's quick and easy for you to access it. So if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, you can simply click it, look at details, and then you will see the links uh, to the uh, artists there that you are going to go into and then uh, discuss. We've had a really uh, heavy week. Yes. And so I'm going to adjust the heaviness and take away the first uh, article that we're, we were going to look at or the first news topic, which was about how President Trump ambushed uh, a grieving mother of a crash victim from an American diplomat in the United Kingdom. And Tracy, you, you're ready to talk about what? Is there such thing as a harmless crush when you're married or when they're married? What do you think, Reverend? Honestly, I think, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I think shit happens. Um, it happens. Yeah. We, we, you know, people... Let me pour you a glass some more wine on that one, uh, Tracy. Clink, 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 clink. I mean, th- things happen, right? Like, you, it's, it's okay. Things happen. And I'm going to leave it there. Oh, 
Maga? Uh, Tracy? <laughs> well, coming from someone who has had a A man of the cloth. I know. No, I'm talking about me. Oh. Coming from someone who's had a harmless crush on a married man. And it turned into more than a harmless crush, Pastor. I don't think that there's such thing as harmless crush. Because we manifest those things that we think about. I believe that we manifest those things that we uh, daydream about. You know? There's never been a moment that I've ever said, ooh, that man is fine. I would love to meet mm-hmm. him. <laughs> and I didn't do it. I cannot think of a, a man that I've ever said that about and it did not come to fruition. Wow. You know, I, that's powerful. I think that, you know, that's a, that's a powerful experience. I would I would be inclined to say that there is such a thing as a harmless crush. Uh, you know, I yeah, I don't think I could live my life without having some harmless crushes. Right. Like, I just couldn't do it. Like, I think it's just a part of, uh, you know, someone with a very active imagination. Yeah. But also, I, you know, I believe in boundaries, and I don't cross those boundaries. And I'm someone who believes in rules, and I don't cross those rules for myself. I believe in boundaries as well, but what happens to the person who believes in boundaries Mm -hmm. and gets into a point of their life where they're like, I've been dealing with these boundaries and I'm still... Yeah, so let me say this. If I I was single Mm -hmm. and had a crush Mm -hmm. and the crush responded to me, then I would absolutely proceed and as the millennials say shoot my shot mm-hmm. or have a sh- mm-hmm. something shot on me i guess would be the opposite or the inverse mm-hmm. and so with that being stated i think that's fine that's harmless i think that that for me i didn't do anything that i feel would necessarily be wrong mm-hmm. on the other end if i'm in a relationship and have a crush mm-hmm. it's incumbent upon me to not act on it and that's what i mean by having my boundaries and saying i can fantasize i can have crushes i can live in my head as much as i want to and I think this is a normal part so, of human nature and the human condition. Sexuality is my favorite topic to talk about, specifically in my research as a you know scholar. Theologian. Right. A theologian, right. Yeah. Um, and in this question, there's an assumption that marriages is not a fluid relationship. There are some people who are okay with polygamy. Mm-hmm. There are some people who are okay with uh, open relationships. Mm-hmm. We're still committed. Mm -hmm. I still know that you're here for me. But marriage in and of itself is an institution of of civil society. It's not religious or moral. We make it that, and it can be that. But there's also situations where people are okay with you dating outside because maybe to some it's just nothing more than an economic advantage. Yes. Some marriages are based on this with the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't tell you how many married friends that I have that say, male in particular, I'm with my wife because of her financial stability. She's good with the bills. We don't, we're not very sexually active. We don't necessarily go out, but I can count on her every month to pay the bills. It is frustrating to me. You know, as an as an actor, as an artist who doesn't have a nine to five, so you know I have money, but I don't have like every month. I can't tell you what. Tracy, I'm not going to allow you to date anyone who would in any way date you for financial stability. Well, I've had a man tell me I'm not going to date you because you're not financial. Thank God you didn't date it. 
<laughs> Thank God you didn't date him. And I saw him. I, I agree. I think that some marriages are marriages out of convenience. I think some marriages are economic arrangements. And some marriages are, you know, out of love. And as the optimist that I am, I hope and pray mm-hmm. that all the marriages that I know are based in love and the ones that will come to be will also be based in love. I think I'd like to be gay when I grow up. What? is a letter that came out uh, in Slate uh, magazine or Slate website. And it was really, you know, somewhat, I think it's kind of controversial. I think it was a really great uh, letter. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, it, you know, I would recommend that you guys read. You can simply Google, I think I like to be gay when I grow up. How do I talk to my six-year-old about his sexuality? It's in their care and feeding uh, response. And so I want to know for the two of you, what would you do if your six-year-old son came to you and said, you know, I think I want to be gay when I grow up? I would do exactly what this person did. What did this mom do? Well, um, she asked him um, what he knew about it. What do you know about um same-sex relationships. And they had a real honest, open conversation. Um, And then I would continue to love him or my daughter and, you know, whatever they decide to do, I cannot, you know, I I cannot, I I can't speak really on this. I'm heterosexual. Um, but I would love them regardless of whatever decision mm-hmm. they make. That doesn't make me not now, Tracy, love them. Let's say, but now, you're heterosexual. Yes. Tracy, every parent yes. out there uh-huh. who has given birth uh-huh. to a gay child uh-huh. was very likely able to identify as heterosexual. Okay. Henceforth, how they were able to procreate and birth okay. a baby. Okay. This is still, though, a reality for many parents. It is a really hard issue that they have to contend with. I think it's tough anytime your child is not going to be like you. And it's even harder when that child is as young as six trying to assert. But are they happy? Mm -hmm. Are they healthy Mm -hmm. uh, mentally? Because I just know a lot of our youth are very unhappy unhealthy because of their parents right because of their parents because of the things that they were told they by their parents and they were taught that they by their parents and they didn't they weren't able to discover who they were and that that is why that is mm -hmm. why a lot of our babies are killing themselves because they can't be who they want to be for fear of their parents not loving them or society shunning them. And, this, and so especially in the black community. I'm in support of whatever you decide. A new study came out that showed that the, the greatest increase among suicidal acts have been among uh, black teens in the year 2019. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. James, what do you say in response to this uh, letter? So I'll be concerned because as a six-year-old... <laughs> Why is a six-year-old having ideas of sexual identity? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be concerned about the identity itself. But the fact that you're asserting this so young. Right. That has, that, that's, a, that's a warning sign yes. of possible misplay, you misbehavior. Of molestation? Yes. Or could it be Six that, years old. Or could it be that we are exposing our children to alternative lifestyles at a very early age? I, you know, I know on Sesame Street they have done it. You know, um, 
I mean, alternative lifestyles I mean, aren't just yes. So a yes part no. of every day now. So and he so. asked a question about two boys being married, which you can have a very fruitful conversation about those things happening. I think, I believe, like, mm-hmm. my, my twin sister, she she's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to it. Okay, you're lesbian. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. We still fighting for you. You're a person. We still mm-hmm. gonna fight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't get any special or differential treatment. And I think that's where it becomes dangerous because when you start looking at, oh, you're gay or you're, 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 you're LGBTQ, we're going to kind of put you as an other. That othering process within society is damaging, destructive, and quite frankly, kills people. And so when we normal, and people are afraid of that normalization, right? But if we just say, you are a part of our community, regardless of your identity, mm-hmm. regardless of you black, white, Latino, regardless of you LGBTQ, hero, cisgender, trans, you are a part of community. Period. There's no need for you to have an other associated with your being. Now we're gonna we're gonna honor your your, your identity. Don't get me wrong. We're gonna acknowledge it, honor it, respect it, but we're not going to other you so that you become a part a separate part of our society that is in need of quote unquote preferential treatment. We need to fix the society that we live in to not have that other clause. They should have to fight for rights. Mm-hmm. Okay, so because they're a human being. But let's let's take this back. What if this child has not been molested? What if this child actually yeah. or, hasn't, or hasn't seen these images? What if this child actually said, I like Jacob? Okay, cool. I don't like Jessica. Cool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why you like Jessica? Jessica won't like I would probably play with my son or my daughter. Like it's again, it's not it's for me, and I, I'm I'm thinking about having children now, right? Like I'm in that phase of my life. I'm I've already graduated. I'm you know, and I'm like, okay. I think I'm past that, but go ahead. It's it's it's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's a, you want them to have healthy practices. My bank account is past that. Amen. Ah. Hey, but you want them to see healthy relationships. Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. This is the world we live in. You know, many people, many members of the LGBTQIA community will give you instances where they may have been able to identify that they had issues around their identity that would mark them as not heterosexual or straight at very early ages. So I don't think it is abnormal for a six-year-old to start questioning it for some. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people will say that maybe it came during adolescence or came later, but it, it isn't unheard of right. for realizing like I have an attraction towards a same-sex at age six. I think that it's really good that the parents did not make a big deal about it. And I, what I like about it is that I think it's important for parents to seek out guidance and right. seek out support and seek out advice from the larger world when that may not be the world that they live in so they right. can know how to help parent that child so that they don't do irrevocable damage to that child's personhood. Right. Again, you have an increased number of black teens, black children committing suicide. You've always had a very high number of LGBTQIA youth committing suicide. And it's heartbreaking. And and it is absolutely avoidable if parents know what to do. There was a, and I'm not saying that this kid was in any way identifying as a member of any community, Mm -hmm. but you had a a horrible story last week where a little boy committed suicide because he was being bullied and his little sister joined him. They committed suicide together because she did not want her. They they talked about it, and she said, "Well, I didn't want him." She the, the note behind was, "I didn't want him to die alone." So she died with him. They both committed suicide by hanging, and so these parents now lost both kids. Now I think it may may have been in Pennsylvania. I'm not certain, 
that I read the article, it was in People magazine. See, this is where I have to draw the line. When you want to kill yourself because you're being bullied because of your preference or stuff, that's that for me is troubling. But it's a reality. It it's, is. It, it, when you are a child, you can't see beyond that moment and what but you're dealing what, with or that it can get better. I'm, 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 my question is, why aren't our children talking? And a lot of these parents are not condemning. Mm-hmm. And this you know, their age. sexuality. Yeah. Maybe they, not. Maybe you know, not. A lot of parents would be open. So we probably need to have these conversations earlier so you know they what? know that their parents are advocates for them. But that but many of the parents decisions. aren't. You know what? There are young people right now whose mothers and fathers are friends with gay people, friends mm-hmm. with all but when it comes down to their child, they are not accepting and are not willing to tolerate it for religious reasons, for a number of things that they firmly believe in. And they are absolutely doing some of the damage that's causing the inverse. Well, we've reaction. got to do better because we're losing too many of our future leaders. Too many of just our future, everything. We're losing our future because we're afraid to have these conversations, yep. and we're putting our own isms on them. On and them. That That's right. Be. Our issues are. Yeah. I agree with you 100. I applaud Sesame Street for bringing out some of these so- social issues on the show. From uh, Carly, yeah. little Muppet for the of the opioid mother, uh, <laughs> to you know addressing you know same sex and and, i agree i i you know applaud them because children are dealing with these things in 2019 and they have to find there has to be some way of saying that my life is not abnormal and i am not abnormal although what's happening to me is you know traumatic or stressful but we do need to deal with the fact that there is a, a, a a number of people who are putting this on the, some of these babies. Like, if you're being molested, I want my child to be able to come to that on, on his or her mm-hmm. own. I don't want somebody to introduce it to them. And you know what I'm saying? I, I, want, I, well, I want them to be able right. to... Tracy, nobody wants that for their child. Okay. Well, I'm just I hope not. But we have had a great week with, yes. with James. And, yes. and one thing that we... I was contacted by a listener... The 3 Plus 1 podcast in the very beginning always did the weekly, the up, the down, the clown, and the best of us. The up was a thing that really resonated with us as something positive and something great happening in the world. The down was something that really was unfortunate, unfair, or injustice, and the clown was absolute buffoonery and something that really embarrassed us or our nation. And then, of course, the, 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 the best of us is really something that we can all hang our hats on and end on a hopeful note, as well as products that we love, some things that are out there that we're really liking. And so I want you guys to think about that and, and kind of take one and, I, and, and that you'd want to address. Last week, um, she really is, uh, you know, a phenomenal athlete. She has gone the distance. I'm hoping that she will have another Olympic uh, run. But even if she does not, she has already made history and goes down as the best in her field. Definitely an up for so many people, specifically to our young girls of color who aspire to athleticism and athletic greatness. So, again, shout out to Simone Biles. She is definitely the up for the week. James, our down. So I want to uh, do our down to uh, show honor and respect to three U.S. soldiers with the 3rd Infantry Division that were killed over the weekend. 
Uh, they were in, and three more were injured during a training accident uh, early Sunday morning. Um, they were riding in a you know a Bradley fighting vehicle at Fort Stewart when the vehicle rolled over into water at approximately 3:20 a.m. So I, I just want to uh, you know send our condolences, our thoughts, our prayers, and love to the families of those who have passed away and to the entire Third Infantry Division family. Heartbreaking. And what about our, what's the clown? So that was a, a sobering down. And again, prayers to the families. But what about our clown? So our clown is none other than the Atlanta Falcons. These, <laughs> oh my gosh. these jokers are just No, sorry. not the Atlanta uh, Falcons. We, we just need a whole new reset. We need a new coach. We need a new quarterback. We need a new James, you're a Falcons fan. Yes. You've been a fan of the Atlanta Falcons for how long? For 25 years. Tracy? I am so sorry for you. You should be a Packers fan like me. And we won today. So, yeah. Not today, but this week. You won this last week. So, you're giving the the Falcons a clown. Is there any hope for this year's team? Absolutely not. We won one game. See you you next year. (laughs) See you next year. Um, And... Tracy, what about the best of us? I think the best of us goes out. The best of us goes out to defense attorney Courtney Miller, uh, letting the city have it following the fatal police shooting of uh, Tatiana Jefferson. Miller was one of hundreds of protesters who were at City Hall demanding justice for Jefferson and that city officials take action in the wake of her tragic death in the hands of Police officer Aaron Dean. So that's it. It was a great video. Um, I saw that, and she was standing up, and it was profound. And it was—I uh, mean, she does represent the very, the very best of us. So I agree. So shout out to her and that work. So what a great week we've had, uh, Tracy. Thank you for joining us, doing a great job as always as our hostess. And James, thank you so much for coming out this week and really pushing thought forward. It's been a great week. And I appreciate you both. Thank you. All right, guys. Can't wait to talk to you next week on the 3 Plus 1 podcast. Have a great rest of the week.